0: This is Urban Next Exchanges, a podcast by UrbanNext.net, the digital platform that aims to expand architecture to a theme cities. You are listening to an episode of Intertwined Environments, a series hosted by Martha Thorne, Dean of IE School of Architecture and Design. Each session explores the role of designers working on building sustainable cities on different scales. Welcome to
1: another session of the series of Intertwined Environments, in which we discuss the natural, physical, and digital environments of the city and specific ways that these can respond to current and future challenges. I'm Martha Thorne, Dean at IE School of Architecture and Design coming to you from Madrid. And I'm joined today by Manuel Perez Romero and Ben Van Burkle. Without a doubt, these past months have been a very crucial and challenging time for us all. We have to rethink the way we understand the city, the role of architecture, and so many things. COVID has accelerated our thought processes. And today, Manuel Pérez Romero and Ben Van Berkel will talk about the city and health in the broadest sense, and how by putting the most advanced technological tools at the service of sustainable development can aid in our cities of the future. Ben van Berkel studied architecture at the Reedfeld Academy in Amsterdam and AA in London. He founded, along with Caroline Boss, van Berkel Boss Architecture Bureau. Later, it became UN Studio in 1998. And even more recently, they've created a spin-off company to deal with the city and technology, UNsense. Manuel Perez-Romero has an interdisciplinary background as an architect, urban designer, lecturer, and inventor. He is a founding member of Nodo 17 Group, a Madrid-based group of architects, designers, and ecologists operating within the fields of urbanism, landscape, architecture, and engineering. He is also the chair of the Center for Sustainable Cities at IE University. This center aims at the convergence of discipline and knowledges associated with the city.
2: I would like to start this conversation talking about happiness, talking about well-being. It's kind of accepted that uh, we are happy uh, when we have like three things. You have the social part that is about the conversation. So you have like the physical part that is about doing a sport. And you have like um, the psychological part that is that this kind of link with nature. Uh, So if you're running in a nice landscape with a friend and talking at the same time, so you are supposed to be like in the highest, you have like the highest uh, well-being state uh, so this is something I think uh, really interesting to think about um, and how can we move that to architecture and what can we do as architects to enhance this kind of approach uh, to well-being.
3: I chapter it often in the layer of mental health, I call it. So it's a little bit what you said about the way how we connect ourselves to, to its nature and happiness. Mental health is often also related to the way how you feel safe, you know, in an environment and feel accepted. That is the mental side of the way how I look at environmental aspects of our everyday life, uh, and then yeah, the social aspect of health I call it, like you mentioned, and the physical aspect. So that is indeed what you said. Also, the way how we can improve here and there in cities, the way how people walk more so that they exercise more. With my students, I've done uh, endless research also on external factors of health. You know, like uh, we often talk about the health of our planet and and maybe outdoor environments, but uh, I looked also a lot at indoor environments. And you you shouldn't forget that because we, we are influenced by external forces when we do things in our environment. So architecture or the way how architecture or cities are organized they help you to move through these cities in a particular way. And uh, indoor environments are not so healthy. You know, most of the indoor environments we live in, uh, with often bad lights, uh, bad materials, there you can also start to analyze that in, in several layers of how you can improve that. You know, from acoustics to light to materials. These two need to uh, go together with behavioral qualities of the way how we activate ourselves or how we feel good in the space. Like, for instance, over the years, we introduced methods of uh, motivating people much more to take the staircase. Mode. So we hide or elevate us a little bit more in campus projects or university projects so that staircases are more used by students, professors, and visitors so that they meet on the staircase, that they can exchange uh, knowledge on the way they walk. And you motivate them by creating a lot of landscape around staircases or the walkable areas where you have to move from one building maybe to the other. Even on the third floor, we bring in uh, sometimes landscape in order to activate people. Uh, and the same we did a lot with air systems in buildings who we'll use air systems who are coming out of the hospital technology, you know, like uh, operation rooms and all these things whereby air goes directly from the floor out into the ceiling. So in a vertical way so that bacteria don't roll around through air from one person to the other person. So and we have used this already in an office building, this air system, and we were able to reduce 20% uh, sick leave. And I can go on. So there are many examples of the way how you can make sure that people meet more in the neighborhood, uh, etc. And and, uh, this is what what is the beauty of architecture. There are many ways to stimulate health in, uh, in very nice ways.
2: When you mentioned the concept of bad air, if we look back to the Industrial Revolution, the concept of bad air has changed a lot of cities. And there's even the name of bad air is associated with uh, malaria, Malaria comes from the Italian word Malaira, that it's uh, directly bad air. And at that time, like, cities were associated with uh, the bad air, that it was the one that causes the diseases. Um, it was responsible of, of, of all, all like incubators of diseases. The cities were look like big incubators of diseases. And that changed the way that uh, we design cities, and that we need to make ventilated spaces, more open spaces more open parks it is started the first public parks you know, because until probably central park at new york with Olmsted, public parks weren't like something that it was a right for the citizens so and most of these decisions um, if you look back to them probably most of them are were decisions that were related with well-being and that's really interesting to understand how we have moved from the concept of sanitation, that is just uh, trying not to harm people, that cities not to harm the people that they live in cities because of the pollution, because of the diseases. Right now, probably we are like in another stage uh, where we are trying to take care of people. And that's a radical change. I really like from your project from Butzano, it's the Butzano project. When you talk about the care communities, this way of how we can take care of the people that uh, live in the communities and, and in the cities.
3: That is an interesting reference because it's true that we, of course, through the industrial age uh, with modernism, but even after the modernist era, huh, so, so after the key architects of that period, uh, there were also key architects who are sometimes forgotten. Like, think of the work of Aldo van Eyck, Smithson's. Or the situationists, you know, they were all, in one way or the other, maybe not directly work with the idea of uh, sanitation, but what they did was to understand more the behavior of uh, how kids and families and people in the city, what kind of patterns these people were generating within the city and how that could be improved or made more attractive, et cetera. But what is the advantage of today's opportunity of, for architects and for city planners and maybe for everyone around the the field is that we can uh, with technology we can do very good things. We can also do very bad things with technology as we know, but we can also do very good things with technology and I, and that's what I believe is so essential of what we maybe now lately with re, all the research with academic research we did and maybe the practical research we did in the practice or practice of Young Studio and now also in UN sense of what deals more with technology is that we believe that we should go a little bit more beyond the classical concept of what a smart city is. We believe that smart technology should be changed in more intelligent uh, technology and, and that it should be connected to clear goals like, like health, for instance, or sustainability, or circularity, or protection of data. Technology is interesting when you use it in a positive way and when it is protected through blockchaining, cyber technology, etc. And it is possible, you know, we don't have to give away all our data to the bigger companies. You can now also rethink new forms of relationships between health and the city and health and living and health and the neighborhood than we used in the modern age. And I believe this will happen uh, now over the next, call it five to 10, 20 years as well. And you see it already happening. We will change our conditions in a radical way, I believe, because not only through the pandemic alone, In Amsterdam, we had over the last year so many people coming to this city, you know, as much people as how much they live in the whole country, like 15 million people coming in and out every year into this city. So that that is not very healthy for a city.
2: I fully agree with you, with uh, with everything, but uh, specifically... with the concept of a smart city, this kind of uh, nobody knows what exactly it does it mean. And, and that's an opportunity, uh, I think, to try to redefine it from the health uh, point of view, as, as you mentioned. Because t- it can help to monitor the nature, the, the natural. Because we are thinking always to try to uh, monitor us and to monitor architecture, but that's like this natural environment that we need to bring to cities. And we need to know how it's going to behave. Kevin Kelly and, and this idea of the biological is getting more engineer, and the engineer is getting more biological, this type of marriage between the born and the made and where technology is going to be this type of bridge that is going to put together these two worlds. And when you see all the technological, most of the technologies are copying the biological world and the biological uh, is being more engineered, even the food that we eat, it's uh, engineered and all the biological is kind of transforming in a kind of engineered system. So there's a huge opportunity in the technology if we bring it to cities and to try to put together these two worlds and we can learn from nature and we can improve nature.
3: I saw that statement and I, I like the statement, but it is also a warning statement. It is double. It is, you know, we are part of that world. Artificial intelligence, uh, AI is actually, is around. And we probably don't know where this all in already. You know, I mean, we, we live with AI uh, constantly every day. You know, from the cars we drive uh, to planes, you know, to fly the plane maybe only for a few few minutes because AI is already doing most of the work. So, you know, maybe the planes are not yet sustainable, but hopefully that will come soon. I totally agree that there are new ways of farming, for instance, and new ways of how we can produce food and good food, very good food through new technology uh, devices. And it is better because we can reduce CO2 production with the traditional farming, you know, the traditional farming is, is one of the worst uh, producers of uh, CO2 uh, production, like, like the building industry, you know, the, your first farming and then you have the building industry who produce so much, you know, CO2. So I think we have to um, look in new ways of how technology can be used in a more intelligent way between the way how we connect ourselves to technology and also embrace it only there where it makes our life better. I find it so beautiful of this time, and difficult also, maybe for some, that we are now have an urgency, an agenda for the architects who is, in my opinion, clearer than ever before, you know. Our mm-hmm. agenda is clearer than everything before. We don't have to think about it anymore. We have to make our world more sustainable, healthier, better, connected to nature is a very human-centric approach to its design in a totally new way than we looked at the human-centric approach in architecture before. It it becomes so central to the way how we design. For me, it's almost like going from the drawing board to the computer in the 90s. You know, it's that radical, revolutionary change we had to introduce in the late 90s to introduce in our profession. I mean, I think we are in a similar period right now. We have to change. Or models of working, techniques of working, and focus
2: more on human centric qualities. Our mission, clear. But do you think our knowledge? Because this is something that is changed probably in the last 15, 20 years, not probably no, not more. Even we didn't study that any fast. We didn't learn that at the school. So we asked, let's say that we learn it by doing. So do you think how this learning by doing, how can we translated, or how can build a kind of body of knowledge that could be applied for everybody. Because you are in the first of the role, and there's many architects and many politics that they will follow this path. But I think that we need in some way to find out how to make this knowledge visible and understandable for everybody. Because from my opinion, uh, I think it's just in, in a small cluster. Everybody agrees on what we have to do, but how to apply it uh, is not so clear.
3: And how do we do that is uh, a very good point. I already started my research on health so seven years ago. And now I'm suddenly becoming the advisor of uh, the government to help uh, the government to think about new ways of how we have to plan our cities because we gave up our planological, ideological uh, ideas in Holland because we thought that it could be uh, developed more in a regional sense. You know, now the responsibilities are to be found around the provinces and the the cities so that you don't have so much um, devices anymore from the government making a plan for the country where all the million houses, we have to build over the next uh, 10 to 20 years, more than million houses in the Holland instance, And nobody knows where to build them because there is no total vision for the country and I connected this when they asked me, what do you think about this? And I was like, yeah, no, this is interesting. Let's do a full, full research on where then we think we can build these houses around the smaller stations also. Because we, we introduced a lot of densifications around the major stations in Holland, but not around the smaller stations. So densify around the public transport so that people reduce using the car. The energy neutral buildings, that's the target now in Holland. Go fully energy neutral, and hopefully, that we can make these neighborhoods more um, uh, intelligent and healthier. But you know, I can whisper in the ears of politicians, and that helps a little bit, but it is actually so that it starts, you know, with education, you know, with, with educating the students of architecture and urban planning, as you know. We are also not only in the our profession behind, the building industry is behind because they don't use technology at all, or very little. Maybe they know how to work with BIM, but that's it. Uh, and maybe we have now 3D printing, but that, you know it's, it's not going fast enough. We, we, the production of architecture or the building industry is also very slow. I'm not talking about architecture alone. I'm talking also about the engineers. I'm talking about the builders. I'm talking about the investors also. I'm talking also about the investors we all together need to hold hands together and start to rethink of how we educate ourselves in a new way in a way we need to radicalize the urgency of how important this is to change in our in the way how we work but also in the way how we use new instruments and what kind of effects it will bring to our world and What kind of economical effect? Because most of the time I I do get a lot of questions around economical topics. Often clients or investors don't know how economically they have to connect themselves to these uh, important regulations at the moment. Yeah, so maybe we have to go back to a full circle again of the way how we work in the future, you know, that we don't have anymore more the architecture saying I make the sketch and you are, you know, the one who needs to work it out and build it. And you go through a very linear process. I, I think we need to really find new ways of uh, collaborating also together.
1: I would like to thank both Ben and Manuel for articulating the way to the future as we envision our new urban paradigms. And as we understand health, as meaning health not only of individuals physically, emotionally, and mentally, but the health of the planet. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to learn more about the topics discussed in this conversation, I highly recommend that you check out the website of IE Center for Sustainable Cities and also look at UN Sense and UN Studio, Ben's firms in Amsterdam. And please don't forget to go to Urban Next, that great platform that deals with
0: the city and all its facets. This space was produced by iSchool School of Architecture and Design, its Center for Sustainable Cities, and UrbanNext.net. Check out the description for the links related to the discussion from this session. If you like the episode, follow us on your preferred podcast platform and share it with your network. The Urban Next Exchanges series is created by Ricardo de Besa and myself, Marta Bouges. Feel free to contact us via email at inputbox at if you want to comment on the podcast or share your work with us. Thank you for listening.